from the internet, it's the Local Host Podcast with Mark Drew and Rob Dudley. Hello from the internet. In this episode, we put on our black hats and we try to get into your sights. So let's don our Hackerman suits and get on with the show. Hello, Mark. Hello, Rob. Oh, it's good to hear your voice. I'd forgotten what you sounded like. I know it's been too long, man. We've, I've been, I've been uh, cheating behind your back, talking to other people. I, I heard there's something quite self-indulgent about listening to your own podcast and not being, and not on, being it. on it. <laughs> Maybe less self-indulgent than listening to it when you are on it. Now I come to think of it. Yeah. But I'd like to say a massive thank you to Chris and Dylan and Dylan. I, I, I do know your names, honestly. No, a massive thank you for keeping uh, the avid local host listeners entertained and informed uh, the wonderful world of JavaScript and general development stuff. Whilst I was off doing, I'd love to say it was something you know exciting and glamorous. It wasn't. It was just work. Work got in the way, as it so often does. You're a professional tequila drinker and water skier, aren't you? That's what you've been doing. Well, you've been drinking tequila and water skiing at the same time. Only during the week. You know, I've got to have some time off. So we're back, and we're back with something a bit special. We've got a two-parter. Oh. So we're going to play a little game that uh, Mark likes to call Black Hat, White Hat. Indeed. So the role of the Black Hat in most cowboy films, I don't know, this came from cowboy films. The guy with the black hat was a bad guy. And the guy with a white hat was uh, the good guy. You know, the Lone Ranger. But I guess in, in our term, is people have been alive in the last 20 years. I know that you have white hat hackers and black hat hackers. And we're going to do a bit of role playing today in the fact that we're going to pretend to be black hat hackers and see what we'd do to get into your sites. Yeah, so in the first half, we're going to run through the techniques and the tactics that the ne'er-do-wells that inhabit the internet and indeed the world at large uh, would use if they attempted to hack your site, your computer, your life, your car, your smart light bulbs, you name it. And in the second half, we're going to quickly swap our hats and we're going to talk about how you as a developer can defend yourself and your clients and your your employers and what have you against such attacks. So let, let's lay some kind of basic ground rules here, because I'm sure as a, as a hacker, there's many reasons why you would be trying to target a personal institution. So let's, I think, first off, lay down some of the things of what they're trying to be get, right? I can say I thought when you said ground rules, I thought you were going to say like don't try this at home, children. Well, uh, well, yeah. Uh, I mean that kind of goes without saying. Yeah, yeah. A lot of this stuff is actually surprisingly easy to do, and just just remember, don't be evil. But yeah. So what does what does a hacker want to achieve? Why do they hack? Why do hackers hack? Well, actually, why do black hat hackers hack? If a black right. hat hacker could hack, no. That's going to be at the end of the show. That's that's going into our Codemaster show. We're going to, we're going to have to be able to say the the limerick. Yeah. So I mean. What does an evil hacker want to do? Why do they do it? Generally, they're trying to get money via one way or the other, I would say. It, it, it's normally financial. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think that that's unfair. So there's normally a, a fiscal angle to it. And how you go about that? You know, you try to get lots of data, for example, credit card data, which is example one. And I guess this is it's kind of like a, a chain of events. If you want to get loads of credit cards that you want to create, blanks from you need to get some information uh, or personal information 
to get that information, you need to get access to a lot of accounts of real names and addresses and things like that. So you want to get quantity and people buy this. So that's one thing that you want to get, right? It's like this huge amount of actual personal information, right? Yeah, and let's not forget that even if it's not directly monetizable, credit card data is probably the holy grail, mostly because credit cards are inherently mm. insured, uh, so you can use them for a bit, and the end user doesn't really get that miffed. But also, wider data sets, just generally data. If you can extract, say, for example, mm. data on every single citizen of Ecuador... I don't know if anybody's been paying attention to the news lately. That that actually happened. <laughs> actually, that wasn't a hack. Oh. That was a misconfiguration. Uh, but still, uh, you know, if you've got the entire database of a popular gaming forum, there's probably going to be lots of juicy personal information in there. There's going to be email addresses. There's going to be potentially physical addresses. Right. There might be payment data or there might be partial payment data. Dates of birth, uh, answers to security questions. All of this stuff is useful and valuable in some way, shape or form. And bear in mind that even if you're only getting pence on the account or, you know, percentages of, of pennies on the account, if you're selling 10 million of the damn things, that's still a couple of grand. You know, that makes it worthwhile. Right. And, you know, for both nefarious and for legal, legal, I say, in, in the grey area, which is mailing lists, right? People buy mailing lists for a few cents per thousand people, right? And that's kind of legal. That's for people to send you spam. Almost certain that's not legal. Well, okay. However, it does happen a lot. And yeah, I selling say gray area, right? email addresses onto less than reputable mailing list providers, and they then sell them onto their less than reputable clients. And where exactly. do you think most of the spam in your inbox comes from? Of course, it's not necessarily just about volume. Right. There's real value to be had targeting individuals. Right. We, we might talk about this a little bit later on, but for example, if you get as much information about a single person, you know, you can do identity theft. You could also do identity impersonation, which I guess is part of theft, but it's like, we're not going to go into this a lot, but uh, some attacks that I've been hearing about are people calling the boss of the company as, or pretending to be the boss of the company that you work for and saying, hey, can you transfer some money to this account? I am really stuck you know you have to do it or they send you an email from their account yeah so you need to find a lot of specific information about a certain person to find out who their boss is for example but to find out who their boss is or to impersonate their boss you probably need quite a lot of information about them there might be internal controls and and checks so to successfully impersonate them requires quite a lot of data and of course, if you have right. this information, you've got a decent backlog of somebody's activity, you've got access to their email and what have you, you can use some of the money that you've got from maybe selling email addresses, fake passports, easily doable, fake ID, easily doable on the dark web. It's surprisingly straightforward with the right amount of data and the right wherewithal, i.e. to be completely evil, to really do a number on somebody. And then you're opening bank accounts, you're taking out loans, you're buying cars. It's crazy. It's not all about money. I mean, it's mostly about money. One of the other drivers that we'll fairly frequently see, and they, to be honest, the hackers that do this kind of stuff will get paid by somebody. But it may well be that if they hack a website, it's to deface it or somehow embarrass the owner of that website. And we see this quite a lot, right? People breaking into content-managed websites and just replacing the homepage with something perverse. It's been a while since I've seen that, that happen, but it, it, it used to be very popular at one point. What was a big hobby of everyone 
to do that, right? <laughs> yeah, site defacement was kind of a, it was a big thing. I think earlier on, maybe it became less impactful because most companies could just own up to it and say, "Well, sorry, we got owned. Uh, that wasn't us with those boobies." Even so, it's still if you're, especially if you're, say, a religious group, or uh, you exist in you know some of those areas that are maybe even more sensitive than just day to day life, having your site defaced can be incredibly embarrassing, and potentially can be worth something to somebody else. Right. Stock prices, right? I mean, I'm not going to say that there, there might be a president that that's tweeting out there, and he might be doing it, but. I'm sure that if you can ruin the reputation of a company, but if you know ahead that this happens, you can short, you can sell stock and then short it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's convoluted, but absolutely. So you pay a hacker to take the site offline or to put up something filthy or to put up something, a fake news story about their CEO and a prostitute. And the next thing you know, yeah, the stock price takes a dive, you make the money. Yeah. By and large, they tend to go for more direct routes. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the more common ones that we've seen, you know, you get into a system, you might find some juicy little tidbits. You might find some video files that perhaps uh, the owner of that computer doesn't want their partner or family or employee employer to see a whole of sony for example (laughs) yes at which point it's fairly easy to turn around and say i have this information give me money or i turn it over right and that's a direct access to money and and this is what a lot of people encrypting machines with malware are like give us some bitcoins or your whole machine is going to be deleted or all the data in your machine is going to be deleted, as it happened to the NHS, if I'm not mistaken. It happened to the NHS, and it's happening a lot in the US at the moment. Uh, various US state departments, uh, government institutions, but at the state level are under fairly significant attack from basically uh, crypto jacking. The downside for a large organization, this thing gets in there, it propagates, all of a sudden your entire business is locked up, and then you're having a serious conversation with yourself about whether or not it is easier to pay some guy, you know, 50 grand in Bitcoin or to continue to lose three, four million dollars a day. Right. Because you're shut down. So that choice sometimes is very easy. And and, and they're not going to attack you again, because, or hopefully they won't attack you again, because hopefully you would have protected yourself. But let, anyway, let's put our black hats on. Now we know the implications and let's, instead of get on with the show, let's get into your machine. So the first one, is something that I think we've all seen since the film Sneakers, and not so much Hackers, but uh, it's a keylogger. This is like a simple device, right? Simple device that, that you then just track all the key presses that someone does onto their machine, right? It's super simple and is, good way to I'm, get started, right? I'm going to be the, the Hollywood movie nerd guy. Is there a keylogger in Sneakers? Yeah. Uh, I don't remember there being a keylogger in sneakers. It has been a couple of decades, so in my mind there is. <laughs> I don't care what the truth is. If there wasn't, that's fake news. But yeah, so this is normally what a device that you attach to the computer between the keyboard and the computer itself. And they come in varying different configurations. They could be physical. They could be software-based. So having said they're a device that you plug in, they might not be. They might just be some software running on the computer. And- And what they do is they record every single keystroke that's entered into that computer and then either store it or stream it out to a command and control server somewhere. I mean, I think we all all can get an idea. It's a very simple device. But there are some problems with us getting into this building to put our little keylogger in, which is actually we physically have to get into these buildings, right? We have to physically get access to these machines. If we're dealing with a physical keylogger, yes, absolutely. Hence the prevalence of software-based equivalents. 
right. uh, that just come in via a standard kind of malware package and they just install themselves, sit there quietly on the machine. And to be honest, the software ones have the advantage that if the machine is connected to the internet, they can stream the key data straight out again. Yeah. Whereas a physical one not only needs to be installed, but you need to have some way of getting the data off it for it to actually be useful. That said, right. a physical keylogger, there's no antivirus in the world picking that up. Yeah. It's not going to know that it's going out to the internet. You know, you'd actually have to do that. I mean, there's there's a place called Keylog that has them. And there's a lot of interesting problems around this, which is getting physical access to the building. Now, there's a lot of ways that you can get around that. And there's uh, someone called Deviant Olam, who's a physical penetration specialist. If you go and check out his videos, he gets paid to actually find sites and go into them. He does very interesting things with keys, especially for municipalities and councils and things like that that have one set of keys so that everyone can get access to these to for example fireboxes or data exchanges and things like that so that's the other place that you could put your keylogger which is at a data exchange level right so you have a, that's how you get your man in the middle you know i mean to be honest if you if you've got access to an exchange you've probably got much more fun things to play with than keyloggers yeah but yeah step one would be you plug the keylogger in you wait a bit and somebody comes along and does their admin routine their maintenance routine and they log in and all you're waiting for are those those either four magic letters r o o t or administrator and then all of a sudden, you know, you've hit pay dirt because mm-hmm. you've got, you know, admin yeah. credentials on that system and then you can really go to town. I mean, I know this is deviating a little bit from our podcast, but one thing that does worry me is I've walked around London enough that I see like these data interchanges or like telephone interchanges and they, they open it up and they go in and I'm looking and going like, that's not particularly secure, right? <laughs> <laughs> Are are you getting ideas, Mark? I'm getting ideas. I just put a Raspberry Pi there. I could open that. Yeah, I could literally open that. Uh, Sometimes they're left open. So, yeah, so that's kind of what worries me. But, yeah, so that's a a keylogger, I think, is, is, is something that would get us one person, but that's not enough, really for what, what I think we should be doing. I think it's, yeah, a keylogger is a targeted attack, normally. I know that I'm going after this individual. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about defense and how you can defend yourself when we get our white hats on. But for now, it suffice to say, it's a very effective way of gathering an awful lot of information, including every username and password that's typed on the system. So first off, we can, let's embarrass a company. We can do a denial of service attack, either DOS or a DDoS, a distributed denial of service attack. That's a little bit more interesting because you can put very important companies out of that and then ask them for money to stop that, right? This is it. This is a very, very simple technique. And in some ways, it can be made incredibly uh, powerful by virtue of the tools that we have running on the internet, for example. And we'll talk a little bit about the various different kind of DOS-DDoS configurations that we could run. The end result is, generally speaking, unless you're Google or Facebook you have probably got a limited amount of server resource to run your website, your application, your online banking platform, your e-commerce system, whatever it is, right? And if you send that system enough traffic, if you give it enough work to do, it will get busy. Mm-hmm. If you give it more work to do, it will get really busy. And the nature of computers is that there is a point where they get so busy that they just fall over. They stop working, right? Now, Denial of service attack these days is actually quite rare 
because computer hardware's got to the point where just one person kind of banging away at something is is probably not going to have much of an effect. Mm. Although there are exceptions to that, depending on how your website is configured and what have you. You may have left yourself open to one of these. We'll talk about that in the second half as well. Distributed denial of service is much, much more common. And to be honest, there are probably two main families. There is the botnet distributed denial of service, Mm-hmm. where you rent some time on a network of computers that have already been compromised. And we're talking hundreds, thousands, in some cases, tens to hundreds of thousands of systems. And this is why you have virus checkers, right? This is literally what you're trying to do. You, that small bit of bandwidth from a compromised computer that's got a, a, a Trojan on it. Yep. I mean, by and large, these these computers belong to your gran. You know, they belong to your local vicar. These are not owned by computer-savvy people. So they've been left open or they've been misconfigured. Or, to be honest, they're owned by teenagers because they look at a certain type of traffic on the internet. <laughs> the idea is that if you get all of these computers together, a little bit of effort from every single one of them is sufficient to overwhelm uh, a standard website configuration. The other thing that we have seen is certain types of internet traffic that we rely on to make the internet work. So things like NTP, which is the network time protocol, Mm -hmm. and the way that the networking stack itself is configured actually can allow one attacker to enroll a bunch of very unwilling hosts by sending malformed traffic and causing what's called a reflection attack. And this is fascinating because they they malform the traffic so that it appears to originate from the target machine. Okay. So the one they want to bring down. And then they send a whole bunch of malformed requests to a whole bunch of different servers. And those servers respond en masse to the target machine saying, you just sent me gibberish. The NTP one was really quite interesting because I think there was um, either a glitch or something in the protocol. I don't know the exact details, but it meant that for one tiny bit of traffic, the response was like a million times larger. Wow. So you could send this tiny little packet off and the response that came back, not to you, but to the machine you were trying to bring down, mm-hmm. was a significant quantity of traffic. And it was enough to knock whole sites offline. That was a biggie. Generally speaking, the reflection attacks tend to get patched almost as soon as they're used mm-hmm. because nobody really wants the, the internet attacking itself. Right. But again, they're, they're out there. Botnet's trivial, again, to access. If I've got my, my black hat on, I'm there on the dark web wearing my hoodie and my Guy Fawkes mask. <laughs> <laughs> because that's how, how we dress. That, yeah, right? a beautifully backlit, by the way. Yeah. And vaping the entire time. Right then I've got some Bitcoin and I can probably buy access to a botnet by the hour. And these systems are literally as sophisticated as renting time on AWS. Wow. It's, it's scary. That's scary. So I say that I want, you know, 2,000 machines for half an hour. Great. I want 200,000 machines for two hours. Absolutely fine. All that happens is the price changes. That scares me a lot. But no, wait, no, that's great. That's great. That's fantastic. That's exactly what I want. You're a black hat, Mark. I'm a We're black, black hat today. So, so my role playing is failing, but yeah. So, but also part of the, this kind of denial of service, and, and like if we're trying to get a lot of data, is also kind of like brute force attacks against passwords. So, sites that have got clear text passwords. Remember, you've got a whole list of of people that you might have bought with with your Bitcoin of usernames, passwords. You just start throwing those in to make sure that you can get into some systems, and if you do, you can get all the other data, right? Well, there's brute forcing if you've got a site that allows it. Yeah. which a surprising number still do. If you've got an email address, 
and you know that that user might be on the system or that system leaks that the user's on it, you can just start hammering away, just start guessing passwords. Right. More likely, as you say, you've bought a username and password list from a recent hack, some of that data that we were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. and the odds are good. Those people have reused their password somewhere. So you just try it on you know, their internet banking account or whatever it happens to be. Right. That's no bueno. But that would get us some information and you have to automate quite a lot of stuff. So that would be like, a well, I'm trying to get into the, I don't know, Bank of America account or something like that. And these institutions tend to have better stuff. So what could I do that's a little bit better on, on, a, on a big distributed thing? Uh, oh, hang on. Before you get onto what you're about to say, uh-huh. bear in mind that the reason that a lot of these uh, password, the, the password reuse attacks and the kind of brute force password attacks, they aren't going after the main target. They won't go after your bank account. I know I just said they would. They won't. Right. They're going after your email address or they're going after the old email address that you still have set as the recovery account on your existing email address. Right. Because once they're in there, they can just send an email to the bank and it comes from you. It's legit, right? True, true. And it says, hey, I want to move all my funds over to here in the Bahamas. Probably more likely. It's like, hey, I've forgotten my password. I've locked myself out of internet banking. Can you uh, give me a call? Oh, I've changed my mobile number. Right. Can you give me a call on this number instead? Security questions, all of that good stuff we'll, we'll talk about. But at the end of the day, banks are run by humans and humans are fallible and you only have to... There's an amazing thing when we think about Black Hat, right? And I love this. As White Hat or defenders like Blue Team, Red Team, Mm. White Hat, Black Hat, the Blue Team have to be right all the time. The White Hat guys have to be right all the time. Yeah. The Black Hat guys only have to be right once. Yeah. And they get to try as many times as... as Oh, yes. And they do. So anyway, sorry, you're about to say a very cool possible attack. A very cool possible attack is, of course, a SQL injection. Right. So you can get, you know, one thing that we know is that not every programmer is is fantastic. And I'm not saying that any of our audience like this, but some programming languages might let you get away with it and some might not. And people might not sanitize the the input that much. So you could put anything into a Hang on, Mark. We we don't care about whether or not they sanitize. We're black hat. Right. We just know how to look for malformed URLs will chuck a whole bunch of stuff into a site and we know when a site is SQL injection vulnerable. Well, it's just actually easy. We just write a script, right, that goes and crawls the internet's looking for forms that have a form field called password, right? And we just That'll work. chuck stuff at it. Because usually that password and that username will be looked up against a table of users, right? To be honest, it doesn't even have to be called password. It can just be a site that's got a logger. All we need is some input. It could just be a page ID or something. So we can try this on every single site, and it's easy. We just get the URLs, we bung them all into a giant list, and then the system goes off and tries, and it comes back and it says, I've got one, this one's vulnerable. Or, as we often see, you're running, say, a popular content management system. Mm -hmm. Drupal, WordPress, Blue River. Not sure if they've had any... (laughs) Mura, but the minute that you realize that a certain version of that uh, system is vulnerable to this kind of attack your job's done you don't even have to look you just go and find versions of that uh, sites that are running versions of that software and just bang away at them yeah and what you can do in this which i don't think people quite understand which i saw with some easy software which is basically a bunch of scripts that will actually go in 
not just list other contents on your database, is able to see if it has execute access, and then the database can do execute stuff. So now give you the password to the machine that the database is on, and probably the contents of every other database that now in a world of shared hosting, your database might be one of, don't know, 10 databases that are on that machine. Yeah. We've hit the big time here. Like we can get lots of data. And big corporate databases, if they're running, say, for example, and I hate to name names, but I'm going to have to, uh, Oracle or Microsoft SQL, Right. when those database systems have execute access, they really have execute access. They can run anything that you can script on the system. You're right. So you're not just talking about gaining access to data anymore. You're talking about rooting a box, about getting a user account on that box that you can use to either explore the rest of the network because the database system might not have much interesting in it, but it might be connected to the payment system or it might be connected to the mail server that you can use to send out all of your spammy goodness. Even if it's just a box on its own, a good internet-connected server is going to make one hell of a member of a botnet. Oh, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, the SQL injection, this is why still, like, year, and, and I know we've talked about this in previous episodes, but year after year, it's been like the one of the top ways to get juicy stuff onto your machine right yeah is the way that you do it. there was an amazing conversation i think it was originally on twitter may have made it onto hacker news or something and it said that the guys who did do you remember the talk talk hack yeah yeah it's yeah. kind of in the news yeah so talk talk yeah, yeah. got hacked basically but the guys that did it were pretty young mm-hmm. uh, and somebody pointed out they did this via initially via sql injection and they said that TalkTalk, Talk, uh, the hackers who owned TalkTalk Talk did so using a technique that was considerably older than the hackers were. <laughs> SQL injection has been around for ages. How wow. it's still a problem, I do not know. Right. But yeah, it's, it's huge. And as a, a web application black hat evildoer... I'm definitely going to be keeping an eye out for those those injectable URLs, those injectable form fields, because to be honest, if I get one, oh, I've hit pay dirt. And it distributes, as we say. We, you can have access to that box. You can do a lot of things with that box, not just get the data, but now you've got some more resources for your pay-as-you-go Trojan botnet. Cool. So what else can we do, Rob? Well, this next one is actually it's kind of a multitude of sins, Let's say that I maybe I can't quite get into the database, mm-hmm. but let's say that maybe I could inject something into the markup of the page. Ooh, tasty. So I could get some some markup in there, and we're talking about like some cross-site scripty goodness. So I inject a little line of JavaScript that then allows me to put whatever I want on that web page. Mm-hmm. And what would I want to put on that web page? Well, a couple of obvious examples. We could put like a standard click jacking package. Mm-hmm. Clickjacking, pretty straightforward. It just like puts invisible links over buttons on the page or over resources on the page. And when you click those links, you will probably go to some form of paid advert. As in, I get paid for every time you click that link. And it looks like a natural, willing link, right? This is what people pay for for advertising because... If you're paying for advertising, you want it to be real people clicking it rather than a bot farm somewhere because you've now not coerced, like mugged someone to, to not mug someone, but you know, made a mug out of them for clicking it. But also, a lot of them yep. just replace the ads on a site with your ads. Brilliant. So if you already have ads on your site, people are used to that. 
But rather than you getting paid because it's your website, the clickjacker has replaced all of your legit ads with their not legit ads. And they're now getting all, all of the click monies. The other thing, of course, we can do if we're in and we've got XSS style access, we can install JavaScript is super powerful now, right? We, we mm. really like JavaScript as, as hackers. We could install something that starts mining for cryptocurrency. Right. That, that, that was there was a library that actually wanted to do this like positively. It was like, whilst you're on our site, we're going to mine for crypto instead of giving an advert. Yeah. It's an actual library that was mining Ethereum, I think. Ethereum, Monero, one of the yeah. lighter weight ones that you can still get some good juice. And again, it's about getting numbers. But if you've got a popular site that's getting thousands and thousands of visitors hour on hour, mm-hmm. even if they're only there for you know 10 minutes, that's 10 minutes worth of, of mining. And all that cryptocurrency can be converted straight into real money, baby. Yeah. So clickjacking works nicely in, in both for advertising and making yourself some Monero. I was going to say Dinero, but Monero is the name of it, right? It is Monero, yes. Other cryptocurrencies are available. And yeah, so that's, that's referred to in, in, in the... Well, actually, it's probably referred to in the wider community as crypto jacking. I don't know if black hats call it that. I'm guessing they would. I'm guessing we would, I mean, because we're them. Yeah. We are they. Yes. We're not very doing a very good job at pretending to be the white hat. I'm going to put my black hat on and see if it, how, how this works. I'm putting a black hat on now. And this is it. Prop, props traditionally work incredibly well in yeah. the audio-only medium of a podcast. Yeah, I'm putting my hoodie up and and uh, I'm putting some like backlighting and I look really good. Uh, there we go. I look totally like a hacker. I don't have yeah, that. legit. You're elite, man. Elite. <laughs> Never say that again, Rob. L three three seven, my my friend. L three three seven. That's it. So other ways that we can get code onto sites, uh, cross site is one, and it's probably one of the most common because we can do it remotely. Mm-hmm. But there are. Not necessarily easier ways, they're probably quite a lot harder, but if one of these comes off, it's super successful. So the next one is going to be waterhole attacks, right? This is nothing to do with the savannah in Africa at all, but this is create a copy of a website that looks like the actual site. I saw this today. Literally today I got an email that I you know, judiciously went through via you know, a browser because it looked well dodged. And it looked just like the BBC it website. Proper dodge. It looked proper dodge. It looked just like the BBC website telling me that uh, I can't remember who had the picture. Gordon Ramsay or something was making loads of money through Bitcoin, right? And it looks identical to the BBC website. Now, if I put a website that looks identical to the NatWest website, and the URL looks like the visible part of the URL looks like natwest.com dot marks terrible site dot news or whatever it is whatever weird domain name, but you just read the natwest.com or hsbc.com or bankofamerica.com, right? You can have that as part of URL and make the site look the same. You can just have someone put in their password a few times and now you've got it, right? Now, the thing is, we've created our cloned site. Yes. How do we get people to go to it? Well, Mm. the most obvious thing is... We're either going to look at attacking a whole bunch of computers individually, and we'll talk a bit about how that works in a moment. To be honest, one of the easiest ways to do it is you spin up a free Wi-Fi hotspot somewhere really busy, and then all you have to do is do a DNS redirect. 
The request comes in for Facebook.com. Right. You send them to Facebook.com with three O's, and that's mm-hmm. covered in your ads. It's covered in your content. Every click that people have, they're, they're trying to log in using their username and password. You're gathering all of that up. If you're smart, you may be checking to see who's got 2FA enabled and who hasn't, and then testing those accounts again on the flip side. Yeah. And the nice thing is, it's wireless, so nobody knows where it's coming from. Not true. People can quite easily triangulate wireless signals, but the odds are good. Your average coffee shop, probably not paying that much attention. Yeah, and, and airports, for example, a good way to do it. Just take a little, you know, raspberry pie. The thing I love about airports as well is they're so tight, they never give you free Wi-Fi. Right. And everybody at airports wants Wi-Fi because they're also, the signal's always terrible. Or they've just come back for, or they're on holiday. They don't have any data because they've turned roaming off because they're going to get stung with the massive bills. This is what worries me about airports. I mean, no, I mean, this is what makes me think of, of, of airports as a great location for this kind of attack because of all of those factors. And if you've ever looked at the Wi-Fi services in, a, in an airport, the always the underscore free Wi-Fi thing is about. Have you seen this? Yeah. In every airport I go, there's an underscore free Wi-Fi, and you're like, right. I mean, it could be legit. It's probably not. Well, now, pay as you go, like, 4G, because you want it to go out through a network, or it can be proxying the, the, the internal Wi-Fi network anyway. It's, it's pretty scary, right? There's one story I heard about someone putting noticing that their neighbors were connecting to their Wi-Fi. So they decided to put a little uh, Raspberry Pi with a small... I think Python script on it that actually made all the images come out upside down. So it'll actually proxy every all, all the requests just fine. It's just that every image was just flipped upside down. Yep, I've seen similar ones where they changed every image out for an, a different picture of a cat. <laughs> every single photo on the internet, it's all cats. You think you're going mad? It's all cats. It's great. I mean, that kind of gaslighting is all harmless fun. But, again, you think about airports, you think about music festivals. Wow, yeah. Anywhere where you've got a decent concentration of people and rubbish mobile coverage, you can set up a really good waterhole attack. And even if all you're doing is you're pushing them onto a site that's crypto mining or is, you know, clickjacking the ads, you don't even have to clickjack, it's your site. You do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. There's so many opportunities. So, yeah, we, we like... The idea that we can set up our own little... We can go down to the waterhole and get people to connect to our own nefarious Wi-Fi. Yeah. The next one is, as part of that, would be this whole idea of cookie theft, right? So you can actually notice this if you go to sites, they use cookies. And now, well, nowadays sites don't give you cookies. They give you a whole bunch of opt-in and opt-out advertising options and cookie options and, and confusing that you just say yes to. But as part of that, how cookies work <laughs> is just that, you know, uh, they actually put an ID on your machine that should be unique. And it, you start looking out for ones that are obviously changeable, not changeable, but you have a sequence in there or you could try attempting different IDs in the cookie because then you could well, hijack someone's session. Let's say that I come across a site and I notice that the site is storing my user ID in just a number in the cookie itself. Well, the first thing I can do is I can start to change that user ID and impersonate other users. The other thing that I can do is, rather than having to visit all of these sites, I can just sit on my fake wireless access point, eavesdropping away, 
picking up all of the HTTP requests using something like Wireshark or TCP dump or, and these are legit research tools, right? They, they exist. They're not bad tools or rude words. And what I'm looking for is sites that will basically mean that if I get the cookie, I get your session or I get your account. Right. And the minute I do that, I'm into that account. I'm looking around. It's, you know, it's, it's just choice, man. Choice. Yeah, it's fantastic. And then you always look out for the ones that don't change the, the, the cookie ID. Like, you know, they keep the cookie ID all the time rather than refreshing that, that session. Now, this was a much, much bigger thing way not way back when until fairly recently a lot of the bigger sites have kind of woken up to this they've started putting in protection Uh, i'm not going to go into details i don't care i just ignore those sites so just move on at the same time there was an amazing app and i think it was called fire sheep fire sheep as in wall of sheep which is the uh, defcon leaderboard of people who get their accounts owned at defcon festival in las vegas Right. Uh, yeah, and FireSheep was brilliant because it ran on an Android phone. It span up um, a basic uh, passive wireless listening system mm-hmm. because you don't necessarily even have to have them connected to your Wi-Fi. If the Wi-Fi is broadcasting and it's not properly isolated, I'm in there. I can see your traffic. I can right. see my traffic. I can see everybody's traffic. It's like Oprah with traffic. <laughs> and FireSheep was specifically targeting the cookies of, I think, Facebook and Twitter were the big two because they were wide open. And all it would do would be grab them and say, right, you can now be at Mark Drew. You can now be at Rob Dudley. You can now be at Localhost FM. All of these things I've sniffed off off the wireless. And Mm. all you had to do was say, yeah, go on then. And it would just sign you into those sites as those accounts. Wow, And the guy who did it was not technically one of us, Mark. He was not technically a black hat. He was actually a security researcher who did it to kind of raise awareness. Right. Uh, also, to be honest, a little bit black hatty. Uh, yeah. But no, it was more you know, genuinely malicious fun. And it actually worked because I think basically after about a week of having Fire Sheep in the App Store... That's a different problem. Why it was allowed in the App Store, who knows? Anyway. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a security research program, yeah. Yeah, they started to change their behavior and, and, and kind of close these loopholes. We're not all Facebook and Twitter. Sorry, they're not all Facebook and Twitter. Mm. There's still plenty of sites that probably have cookies misconfigured. Yep. And we're going to own them. And yeah, easy, easy peasy. The next one is kind of going circling back is actually getting a nice viruses and trojans onto the machine because they are really useful. Once I've got access to the machines, they're really useful for, for both getting information about the machine owning the machine this is the thing if i'm if i'm a and i am at this point i think it's fairly clear i'll stop saying it so i've, I've maybe i've hacked a website or i've managed to convince somebody to visit my uh website via a watering hole or a, a myriad other techniques uh, i've got physical access to their box i've fished them the end result there is if i can get some kind of code onto their computer that i control I now own that computer. Right. I mean, not literally. I'm, I'm not saying they signed the title deed over to me, but I can do anything I want on it. I can make that computer send email. I can make it part of a botnet. I can run rifle through all of your lovely files. I can check out that folder called videos do not open that you've got buried in temp. Oh, yeah. We know. I mean, we know that. We're the black hats. We know what you got in your temp folder. 
I can go through your Outlook address book and I can spam all of those people pretending to be you. And saying that you've got this lovely link or there's, here's an invoice that you have to look at. Yeah. Uh, I actually had an email <laughs> the other day. Uh, this, is, this is just a slight aside. That was from someone that's saying, like, we have a payment to send you. Please fill in your bank details. And I went, what? And it's like, I had to email them back. And it was actually for an article I wrote about a decade ago. And the, the, the check had bounced after years because obviously I've moved in the last decade. I had to actually go through the whole thing. And eventually they said, yeah, it's for an article you wrote like 10 years ago. Here's your payment for it. Also, checks. Yeah. Because they're still Check. a thing. Yeah. How do we how do we get our viruses and our trojans onto these machines? Well, there's a couple of obvious extensions to stuff we've already spoken about. If I can uh, cross site script a site, I can inject it just a download right. or a button. I can override the download link on that website. So instead of downloading Chrome.exe or what? you know Mark's latest game.exe, it actually downloads a version that's got my virus in it. Why are you making so much effort? You just go to something like some torrent site, right? And put some adverts that look like big buttons that look as much as, as possible as the buttons that that site would have. So when eventually those adverts appear on that site, confused teenager or confused whoever using that site clicks on the button and takes you to a malware site, right? Yeah, that'll work. I've got a page that is chock-a-block with malware. It's checking for every possible attack. It's wall-to-wall goodies for the visitor none of those goodies are good all of them are going to make your computer very poorly your phone is running slowly click here to clean up the cache looking like an iphone dialogue right yep (laughs) you know anything that you can make the person click that button and run that application or and they'll have a known hack especially if nowadays that we have mobiles and there's been disclosed hacks for for different devices they can sniff out the version and just put those adverts everywhere. So if they get, manage to get to that site, you can then download stuff and off you go. And that's it. Pulling a bait and switch is cool. I'm still a bit of a traditionalist. Okay. I still like Fair enough. you know, I still like the email phishing campaign, the broad spectrum stuff where you just you've bought a list online and you just craft an email. The reason I like it is, you know, the last list I bought I didn't. I'm I'm role playing. But the last <laughs> list I bought was like a hundred million addresses. And to be honest, I need naught point naught one percent of those to actually work. Right. As in for somebody to actually I need, probably need less than that. I need like two people from that entire list to actually click and I've got the system and that's probably enough for me to pay for what I paid for the list in the first place and anything else is just profit man pure cold profit I'm just trying to calculate how much 0.2% of 100 million is I think the zeros just flew out my my brain I'm not good at this black hat stuff if I can't make those kind of calculations (laughs) this is why we never made it as as leap black hat hackers we just don't have the mental arithmetic for it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so well i mean if only so, i had a pocket calculator right and the thing is so we've owned these machines and we want to spread out so and i said i, I received an email earlier today from someone i know to check for something and it was one of these sites it's a phishing site and it happens and google's very good or gmail's been very good if you ever wander into your junk mail folder which is despicable den of iniquity 
or Moss Iceberg. I like it. It's where my people live. It's my people live. It's Moss Iceberg of your email. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> if you go in there, you'll see a whole whole bunch of phishing attacks, and that's what we've got to do, right? We've got to get something that gets past the, the, the spam filters that looks like someone's actually sent it. So it's even good if you can fake somebody's email address so it looks like it came from them. The thing is, from my perspective... Those guys will get you in the end, you know, Gmail, Hotmail, whoever, mm-hmm. but they won't get you quickly. Right. So you, if you can smash these things out fast enough, you can hit enough accounts, you can mix the content of the email up a bit, yeah. you're probably going to get through for the first, you know, whatever it is, 5% maybe. Mm-hmm. So don't worry about the spam filters, man. I mean, I mean, they'll catch most of it, but even so, the numbers I'm yeah. talking about, we don't have to worry about that. Right. And now that we've got our botnet, we can send out emails. We can put, you know, SMTP servers on on each one of them. They'll or relaying mail nicely. They're faking the headers, so it all looks like it actually comes from you at Gmail. And yeah, we pass on our stuff. People click on it, and we win. That's it. That's it. Awesome. Now, now that we're millionaires, shall we bother doing the other episode? I think we kind of have to. Yeah, I mean, if only to maintain a sense of ethical balance. That's true. We we have to be... It's like the BBC. We have to be balanced and provide both sides of the coin. But we will be wearing considerably more bling in the next episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll come through the episode line and you'll heal the jangle. And I'll be wearing a very natty white hat, which is great for podcasting. So... We'll see you in the next episode when we will stop being quite so silly and and impersonating some actually quite legitimately scary groups of people. Right. What we're going to hopefully do is try and show how you, as a a mere web developer, nothing mere about you, you're amazing, and you can beat these guys, and we'll tell you how. So in the meantime, if you've got ideas, you can email us at localhost.fm, or you can just insult my black hat provided those ideas aren't that you're a nigerian prince who needs help moving five million dollars out of the country just saying don't don't fish me man don't fish me (laughs) (laughs) i'll I'll give you all his address don't worry don't worry it's on the internet no you can email us uh i think it's hi at localhost.fm yeah was it show show at localhost.fm the other podcast is hi sorry about that I'm pretty sure both will work. Look at that. He's been away for a month, and now he's forgetting his actual ident. It's show at localhost.fm. I've been at Mark Drew. I've been at Rob Dudley. Good night. <laughs>